You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. 700000 dollars in debt and determined to avoid bankruptcy, the Thompsons decided to swing for the fences to get out of debt and bring value to the world. While juggling church assignments, a growing family of five children, and a heavily indebted business, they founded Sensi, a company famous for creating flameless candles. The perfect balance of rudder and sail, Heidi and Orville Thompson partner in leading Sensi with the same passion, dedication, and commitment they strive to give the Lord and their family. In July 2021, the Thompsons will step down from their business at Sensi to serve a three-year mission as the mission president and companion for the England-London Mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is Michelle Burke, and you are listening to the IMN Podcast. Usually Heidi's the teary one, but as you were reading that, I realized July's coming pretty quickly and uh, I got a little emotional. So um, this might be a little different. <laughs> we, we don't, I do, should I take my teeth yeah, out? Oh, teeth shoot, out. okay, I'm going to take my teeth out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, um, wear them last night to bed. So <laughs> even adults disobey. <laughs> the orthodontist was not very happy with her the last Sorry, time. Dr. Kelson. <laughs> so um, but anyway, it'll it'll you guys are maybe used to slide, slide, slides. We have six. So it'll be fun. We're, we just wanna talk, tell some stories, and then you guys, you know, think of your questions and we'll um, uh, answer them at the end. And at any time, if you do have a burning question, feel free to interrupt. Wait, they just got told not. I know. I'm just kind of <laughs> contradict, contradicting that. Okay. Because um, the Spirit is going to speak to all of us, and we don't have a presentation. We have some stories to tell and some applications of those stories. Um, and we're just going to see where the Spirit takes us and where the energy takes us. So, um, if you want to be part of that energy and you have a burning question, uh, yeah, feel free. Okay. So, um, that or... Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Um, In, we're going to start way, way long ago, like 30 years ago. (laughs) That does seem forever. Um, Yeah. In when, 19, when we were your age. 90, yeah. <laughs> okay. So perms were popular back then. <laughs> um, and I have a nice large one. So but, as we tell this first story, you'll kind of get an idea of what the Lord and the gospel has meant in our lives and how it has impacted us fundamentally from the very beginning. So at the very... Um, beginning of the story, I was in Korea serving a mission, and the transfer dates shifted. So I could either choose to come home in mid-June or mid-July. 
because I started at the beginning of July. So we had the choice. And I had chose to come home mid-July until around the 1st of June. And I was, I remember, um, I was a zone leader. We had a huge teaching pool. I had finally figured out missionary work, I thought. I was really excited about the next month and a half to finish off my mission. And I had an overwhelming sense that I needed to get home. And I needed to call the president and see if I could come home in June. That was what was going on with me early June 1990. And around that same time, I um, got my patriarchal blessing. I had waited a little till I was a little bit older and um, got my patriarchal blessing and um, set some goals for myself. And I was dating a um, return missionary, um, very nice, very nice guy. Um, we had talked a little bit, like the word marriage had come up, um, but in that same breath, he, he went, left for the summer, and when he was leaving, he said, I don't feel like it's fair for me to um, tell you not to date anyone. Huge mistake. <laughs> Huge mistake. He asked me to watch his stuff, a bunch of stuff, you know, that he didn't want to have to put it into storage. And then, but not to, to, to go ahead and date. I guess he thought nothing would happen. I don't know. But um, anyway, so that's kind of how summer, patriarchal blessing, boyfriend, boyfriend who tells me, to go ahead and date and um then you decided to stay for the summer yes and then i decided to stay um at school for the summer and do a semester term my friends all said don't go dances were popular back then i don't know if they are now but dances were popular and they said don't go to the dances on the campus you need to drive down to idaho falls i was uh um Riggs. you need to drive down to idaho falls and go to the summer dances there they're so much better so so the feeling that I got on my mission was that I had to get back to spend time with my dad because I, and so I thought for sure my dad was going to die soon and I called the mission president. We arranged, I got a last minute flight to go home on that transfer. And um, uh, so it was a very quick exit from my mission. So I get home, my dad's healthy. We spend some time fly fishing and stuff. Now they had moved from my hometown in central Washington to Idaho Falls. And I've been to EFY a hundred times, it seemed like, and I knew people all over the country from my mission and from just life, but I knew nobody in Idaho Falls. And I had a little bit of a letdown. I was lonely. I was, things happened faster than I thought. I was worried about my dad and I went and talked to my bishop. And my bishop, um, he gave me a basic talk that you know, hey, what are you planning on studying in school? And I told him, he says, you have a lot of school ahead of you. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just kind of let life happen. Just follow the Lord and keep, you know, doing the things you learned on your mission. And then almost mid-sentence, he stopped. And I remember him looking at his hands. And quiet. And um, twiddling his thumbs. And it seemed like forever. And he said, Orville, I feel impressed to tell you that you should begin now in looking for your wife. And I'm sorry that that is the exact opposite information or, or direction that I just gave you. But as your bishop, that's what I feel. Now, he 
was not my bishop that knew me. It was the first time he met me. Going back, right before I left, there was a mission tour, and Elder Oaks at the time came and told a story, and he talked about the authority of the priesthood and how if we follow our priesthood leaders, even if they give us bad advice, the Lord will make up the difference. So follow your leaders. So I had that in my mind, and I was accepting what the bishop said 100%. So I said, well, you know, I've never had a girlfriend before, so how does this work? Um, go to the young adult dance and maybe you'll meet somebody now my brother took all my clothes while I was on my mission and my parents were struggling financially I was wearing my dad's jeans that were four times four sizes too big with a cinched up belt but it was the early 90s and so it was somewhat in fashion and I had, you brought it into fashion. I had one gap shirt that my brother didn't take so I had one gap shirt and one pair of my dad's jeans and I went to uh, the the dance. Fortunately, it was outside, so it was casual. <laughs> <laughs> and I, um, my, my roommate had a car, so we drove down. So I was with a friend, and um, we went to the dance. And I was there with no friends, no wingmen, just standing there by myself. Um, and I didn't really think about what the bishop said. I was just, okay, I'm going to get into the social scene of Idaho Falls until I head back for school. And I see Heidi, and I ask her to dance, and it was a fast dance, and the conversation was fantastic. We had, we had a lot of things in common. Um, we're both from Washington State, and he served his mission in Korea, and I had a cousin that was adopted from Korea. Um, I don't know. We, we just we, we hit it off. So then okay. the song ends. I was feeling great. Yeah. And I thought I heard him say, would you like to dance again? But I didn't want to assume because we were right in front of the speakers, right? So it was so loud. So I said, thank you, and walked away. Now, I had no friends to go back to. I had, I was, so I just kind of slunk I slunk back to my spot um, along the sidewalk um, of this outdoor dance and I thought oh that was embarrassing I don't know if I want to put myself through that well and I went back to my friend and I said oh it's so oh that's embarrassing I think he asked me to dance again but I wasn't sure so I said thanks and walked away <laughs> so I couldn't get Heidi out of my mind and um, the, uh, so Heidi has feelings. I have conversations with myself in my head. And here was the conversation. Orville, go ask that girl to dance again. But she rejected me. <laughs> if you're gonna marry her, you have to go ask her to dance again. If you're not going to marry her, it will. It makes no difference what she thinks of you. Okay. So I went and asked her to dance, and that was it. That was it. Um, I did um, try to set him up with my friend <laughs> because I already had a boyfriend, and I thought, oh, he's a nice guy. And we went afterwards. Um, to the Idaho Falls Temple, we, we went and bought a pie. So I asked her at the end of the dance, I said, do you want to um, go get some pie or something at JB's? 
And she said, I got my friend with me. So bring her along. So we went and bought a pie because a whole pie is cheaper than three pieces. <laughs> um, and we borrowed some silverware, promised to take it back, and we went by the Idaho Falls Temple and had pie. But I felt like they, those two were hitting it off, you know? So I was like, oh, Sue, you should. Yeah, Heidi was shy and Sue was really should, outgoing. Yeah, yeah. So. But I had my eye on Heidi. Anyway. So actually, that was the, the Friday before my homecoming. It was July 13th. Friday, July 13th. We met on a Friday the 13th. And I had this thought, well, if I'm going to marry her, and she knows that we met before my homecoming, but I didn't think to invite her to my homecoming, she'll be upset. So I invited her to my homecoming, and she came to my homecoming, her and her friend. Um, and afterwards, we um, went over to my house, and my sisters were all there, and I told my sisters, I think I met the girl I'm going to marry. And they all thought it was nuts. <laughs> and so we were all there as a family, and I have a special needs cousin that's my age. And her friend Sue is a social butterfly and was like intermingling with all of my family members. And one of my sisters said to another sister, is that the girl Orville's interested in? And she says, oh, no, that's not the kind of girl Orville would be interested in. That's the girl he's interested in. And Heidi was over with my special needs cousin, one-on-one -on -one in deep conversation. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of knew. Uh, but it was weird how I knew. Um, but I felt very comfortable in that situation. That's her. That's her. Okay, so basically then after that, I um, I get all emotional. Um, go tell that boy that, you know, that that was it. I, I here's your stuff. When when you come back and get it, it's here for you, but um, I'm not. <laughs> so and actually um, he he transferred into one of my classes. He was gonna win her back. Yeah, I think after and um, the teacher came up and said Wow, I, he saw my, my engagement ring after we got engaged, and he said, wow, pretty girl like you probably had a lot of choices. And um, that was the last I saw him. He transferred out. But you picked the very best one. <laughs> yeah, but I picked the very best one. I did, I did. So Not knowing that his TA was the person that she had dumped for. But the interesting thing also is we had another story I wasn't going to tell, but I was at BYU and Heidi was at Ritz and she finished up and was going to come down to BYU. And um, I got an overwhelming feeling that that wasn't going to be good for us. Um, bringing Heidi into our world or into my world was a little bit, um, I just didn't feel right about it. Um, and we couldn't find married student housing. Uh, well, first we were going to wait until April to get married. Um, and then we thought, that's going to be silly. If we're going to both be in Provo, let's just get married in December. So we met July. We got married in December. Um, and we were separated for four of those months. Well, she was at Rick's and I was at BYU. Um, but I asked her, how would you like to move to Seattle? Um, and I'll transfer to the University of Washington. And we'll start our life together there instead of you coming into my life. And I think that was one of the best decisions we ever made. Um, so that we as a couple could bond. Um, and that was another kind of about face that we made in those early days.
But, okay. here, but here's a quote from President Nelson recently. Um, our Father knows that when we are surrounded by uncertainty and fear, like isn't that always? <laughs> right? What will help us the very most is to hear His Son. Because when we seek to hear, truly hear His Son, we will be guided to know what to do in any circumstance. Any. Revelation isn't just for uh, help with our church colonies. And it's not just the, uh, the gift of leaders in the church. This is what President Nelson is trying to teach us all, that we have this special gift as members of the church to have a headlight shining in the darkness in front of us so that we can find the most efficient and happiest, most joyful path that the Lord has in store for us. Um, and I think the stories uh, of our life are a testament to this. Um, and that first one, where we came together, I think is absolutely the Lord bringing us together. There was only a few moments in time we could have met. And, you know, the longer we go in life, the more we realize without each other, what we could have accomplished independently or with somebody else is, you know, pales in comparison with how our strengths and weaknesses have come together to really make both of us better. Okay, so fast forward to uh, 2004. Yeah, so we have five kids by then, and um, I've been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. And, and I was a serial entrepreneur with marginal success. Um, you know, we, we lived in a nice neighborhood, and we had um, uh, cars to drive and, and food to eat. Um, but there was this kind of secret. There was a lot of debt, a lot of debt in the business. And why was it a secret? <laughs> um, well, I was running the business. Yeah. You know, you were just a stay-at-home mom. I'm the guy who knows how to run a business. stay-at-home mom, yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, that's kind of kind of how it was. He did his so, thing, I did mine. So things were okay until uh, 2001, 9-11 hit. Mm -hmm. Right when we were full of, or right in the middle of our fair and show season. So I sold things at state fairs and shows. You know, things that slice and dice don't crack or chip. You'd see on late night TV, the ShamWow commercial. We did it live for 20 years before um, it became an infomercial, but that kind of thing. Um, and I had many booths all over the country. 9-11 hit after the first weekend of all the main major shows. In a period of time where we were expected to have about $300,000 of positive cash flow, we had $300,000 of negative cash flow. Now, this is back when I was 32 and didn't have a, a, you know, a lot of history to absorb that kind of a hit. And then from 2001 to 2003, it was just a tailspin until I found, uh, I better tell Heidi that <laughs> I don't know how we're going to avoid bankruptcy. Somebody's yeah. going to force us into bankruptcy because all of our credit's ending or is, is eliminating. Now, whenever I pay something down, the banks are lowering the credit rate. I'm, I'm starting to suffocate. And it was bad. Yeah, so he um, one day came to me and, and told me what was happening, where we were, um, $700,000 in debt. And but I kind of already knew because I would go around town, write a check, and it would bounce. So I was like, "What is going on?" 
So um, <laughs> that's what was going on. But anyway, um, he said, this is where we are. I feel like we should file bankruptcy. And no, I, I said, I, I never wanted to, to, to uh, file bankruptcy because my dad hated it. And he didn't, but people had gone bankrupt on him and he lost his business. And I watched him pay off those debts for all my growing up years. He paid off the debts because he refused to go bankrupt. So I was like, I can't go bankrupt because my dad didn't. Um, but I didn't know how we would avoid it is the problem. So um, bankruptcy. And I said, and we had borrowed a bunch of money from family and friends. And when you file bankruptcy, all of that gets taken into yeah. um, the equation. And I didn't want to take any of those people down with us when and like not be able to pay them back. So I said, dang, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're not going to file bankruptcy and we're going to swing for the fence and we're going to swing really hard. I had no idea what we were going to do, but we were not going to file bankruptcy. And the, the other thing is maybe slightly vain, <laughs> slightly, his name is Orville and, um, your name gets printed in the newspaper when you file bankruptcy. And everybody would and know. And everybody would yeah. know Orville Thompson and Heidi Thompson filed bankruptcy. And the thought of that was um, too much for me. I just was not going to have it happen. So we, at that moment, like I said earlier, <clears throat> it was him doing his thing and me doing my thing. We came together. Well, we had it. So, we had kind of a, a big moment in our marriage. And she said, you got us into this mess. Um, never make another decision without me. If we fail, we'll fail together. If we succeed, we'll succeed together. But I never So that's want... sort of blaming. Yeah. You got us into Well, I did get us into the mess. But the, but the thought really was. I didn't point my finger, though. <laughs> we didn't realize at that point that if we never made a decision that wasn't together, we would never have an I told you so moment. If we were going down, we were going down together. And if we were going to succeed, we were going to succeed together. And I, at that point, became very loyal to um, that decision, never to make a decision on my own. From that point on, we were always going to consult one with another about almost every decision. Um, in fact, we had $60,000 left of credit. And we had cut an infomercial with a former NFL football coach who had turned out and had started racing cars, and we sold car wax. Um, and so, and I had two partners in the ward that I thought might help us out. So the three of us got together and we put this infomercial together with Jerry Glanville, Jerry Glanville's race wax. And we put our last 60,000 into it. It was a joint decision. We put it on um, the Atlanta and Houston markets because that's where he was an NFL football coach. Um, we ran it. Um, Super exciting. Um, on, on the right kind of challenge. Be the yeah. break that we needed. We sold two bottles of wax on that infomercial. $60 return on a $60,000. Awesome. Yeah. And then so that was great. it. That, yeah. that was our last week. That was our first swing for the fences moment, and we were busted. Rock bottom. Rock bottom. Our partners said, well, there's one explanation. Orville's a crook and should be in jail. 
pulled the entire ward. We were feeling like um, we'd go to church and everybody's looking at us like, okay, we knew something was weird when he sold things at fairs and shows, but we didn't know he was a charlatan too. And it was a really, really hard time. And we were fasting and praying on what to do. Um, that fast Sunday, we get a, call, a sacrament meeting. Will the people in these wards please come at 4 o'clock to a special meeting at the stake center? They split the ward. Those two guys were in one ward, and our little subdivision got peeled off into another ward that was that nobody knew us. It was just a total blessing. Um, uh, but we paid off the partners. We were dumping coins into the Coinstar machine to buy groceries. Um, we had no credit. I would go to the... Um, cannery because if you worked at the cannery you could buy cases of beef stew for 25 cents a can and we fed our kids <laughs> beef stew probably three or four times yeah. a week we have a um, lot of church stew, <laughs> a lot of um, church stew. Yeah. and we didn't know what was going to we didn't know what was going to happen and i had a temple experience let me share this okay it mentions that in the handbook so i don't think i'm disclosing anything that i shouldn't uh, there are covenants we make in the temple. The church handbook explains what those covenants are, and those of you who have been to the temple know what I'm talking about. The last covenant we make is that we consecrate ourselves, all of our blessings, to the Lord. And I remember thinking, if the law of consecration was reinstituted, and we all had to go back to Missouri, you know, the proverbial left pack off to Missouri and head to Zion. I would be left behind. I'd be told, you stay back in Idaho, settle your debts. And when your debts are settled, then you can come. I felt disqualified from the covenant I had just made. And it was a very, very low point. And... Um, Another voice, conversation in my head. Orville, if you had $700,000, would you consecrate that? Yes. Then why do you own your debt? You're to consecrate everything with which I've blessed you. You don't know that your debt isn't a blessing. Consecrate it to me. You're a steward of things. You're a steward of experiences. Be a steward of your debt. But don't worry about it anymore. So as a steward of debt, we made our payments. Every payment. There, every month we had no idea how we were going to make our payments. Our debt service was like $35,000 a month. Our business was still operating, and it was making about $34,000 a month. And we had to figure out how to feed our family with less than $1,000 with no credit. And we had to get creative. This was the financial and emotional soup that um, we were going through with five children, trying to protect them from all of the, the, the pain and anguish um, when we found Sensi, Old Mary's story, in the back of the car. That was hilarious. Let me share that one. If you remember it. She's in the back of the car just bawling. Well, you can imagine our phone was ringing off the hook from banks. You know, hey, this payment, this payment, this payment, this payment. So um, we actually 
had to like show our kids how to answer the phone <laughs> and what to say when the bank called. And um, yes, so they knew. They knew something was yeah. not not right, you know. Yeah, like it's US Bank. Yeah. Tell them to tell them they'll get paid before it's 30 days late. Yeah. <laughs> so one day we're driving in the car and well, I don't know the story. Oh, so Mary's in the back and she, if you knew our daughter Mary, um, uh, I think, uh, oh, I forgot your name. Relative is that, taught her in seminary. She has the biggest brown eyes and when she cries, her tears are ginormous. She's in the back just bawling. And she's probably 10. 10. And we said, Mary, what's wrong? <laughs> we're poor <laughs> what we're poor it dawned on her she never thought of us as poor before she says we're poor like mary it's okay uh, so this was kind of the situation uh where we were the drink and, and i was going to just say too how how as a family um we involved them we sat them down and we said, we're, yes, we're in debt. This is where we are um, with hard work. Um, this is a future for us. So, and by then we had met Kara and Colette. Orville um, yeah. had done a show. So 2004, March of 2004, we're trying to figure out how we get out of this problem. And the Salt Lake Home Show was on and it was one of my biggest shows, but I didn't have any money. So I wrote a bad check and I told the lady, she said, pay for your booze, pay for your booze. Oh, I, I got to pay for it. You know, I'm just busy. I got there and I said, Deborah, I'm so sorry. I've been lying to you. I don't have the money for the booze. Here's a bad check. So that if I don't pay you, the check will be enough for fraud. It was like $17,000 in booze rent. But if you let me set up my booze, I'll buy the check back with cash by the end of the show. And, um, you know, because it was a big show, we were going to do about eighty or $90,000 in sales. So I would have had the money. Um, and she said, okay. And she felt so bad, she gave me an extra booth. And the extra booth was right across from a booth of these two very nice stay-at-home moms that had started this little candle company called Sensi a couple months before. In their basement. Yeah. And this was the first show that they got into to show the world their business. And I happened to have a booth across the street or across the aisle from them. And um, so he sat down and he watched um, the traffic coming through their booth. And then Colette came and sat down next to him, a chance meeting. And she, she wanted what Orville was selling. And Orville said, well, hey, I might want what you are selling. Maybe we could trade. So she showed me her booth and explained the Sensi concept, you know, wickless candles, warmed in a warmer. Um, and I thought, this is great. It didn't fit in my business. And so I thought, eh, there's really not a lot going on here, but um, these are nice ladies. So I started talking to them about prices and things like that, because they were like, hey, you know what you're doing. You have all these booths in this show. Can you give us some advice? And I learned right away, they had no clue what they were doing. And so I just started coaching them. Mentor. Yeah, I wanted to mentor them. And they had no idea our situation. But as I was mentoring them, um, 
they saw something. Well, I think their husbands were were starting to worry because they had taken out a credit card for um, what, what thirty thousand, forty thousand, yeah, twenty thousand, twenty thousand to start start this business. And those, and um, what do you get? The zero interest for six months. So the the payments were going to start coming due, and the husbands were like, uh, "We don't, we're not seeing any money here. What's going on?" And so I think the husbands were starting to get a little worried. So we had traded product. I showed it to Heidi. She liked it, and then I'm, I'm mentoring them, and they said, "Orville, do you want to buy the business?" And I'm like, "Well, you don't have a business, and we don't have any money, but we could probably work something out." Swing something. <laughs> Swing. So, we could yeah. swing something. So I had no idea at this point that this was the Lord's gift to us to pull us out of debt. Um, and or this was going to be the rest of our or the, the next 17 years of our lives. So we worked with them, and the best we could do is they said, look, I'll pay off your debt. I'll 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 give you twenty thousand dollars in September after fair season. I knew I'd have cash then. If you give me your business now. Plus and, we, we and I'll give you a royalty. Yeah, we gave we gave them a royalty and a little piece of the a, stock, and a, which was like a monthly payment. We would yeah. pay them a certain amount monthly, and then yes, yeah, some stock. And so. one of the one of the the sisters-in-law said, "No way, horrible crook. We can do better." Blah blah blah. Colette was reading the scriptures, and she was praying about whether or not they should take this deal and give us their business, which is. Like again, a really odd thing to say. If you want to do business with us, you have to give it to us, um, and we'll cover your debt. And she was reading about Captain Moroni. She says, "I was reading about Captain Moroni, and as I read, I had a very distinct feeling that I could trust you, like your Captain Moroni." And so she convinced her sister-in-law to do the deal, and we did the deal. And then that's how we ended up with Sensi, um, with no money. And no um, uh, experience in that business. Now the cool thing is, both of those ladies have made well over ten million dollars. We took very good care of them, and we still love them, still honor them. They're still they part of us. Sensi yeah. and, and um, function as actual consultants. So they and the Lord were right. It was the right thing to do for them to give us their business. Um, this is an interesting story. Um, so, can you tell where I am? <laughs> yeah, well, I was trying to hide. Uh, I didn't do a very good job. But, um, you know, stay-at-home mom. This was kind of going to be in my head, and I don't know why, because like I said, we'd come together. But this was going to be just his other business, another new adventure. A product I sold in the other business. Yeah, and... Um, so the three of them kind of were going to be partners, I guess. Um, we brought Sensi home, and then immediately Orville had to go do his fairs and shows. And um, I found, like, and, he, and when he does his fairs and shows, he was gone for months, like two months, eight weeks. And during that time, I found the checkbook, the Sensi checkbook. So this is probably, uh, we, we got it in May, and um, probably this is September, August, mm -hmm. September, and it hadn't been balanced. 
And I thought to myself, it was okay, it was there was money in the account, <laughs> but it hadn't been balanced. And that's how he ran his other business. Is he never knew? He didn't balance a checkbook. He didn't know where what was coming in, what was going was out. <laughs> and so that was that's my background. And so I took that checkbook. And he never saw it again after that. Yeah. And I balanced it, and that's kind of how I um, became part of Sensi. From then on, it was not just Orville's business. It was Heidi and Orville because I did not want it to. Um, I didn't want him to treat this business how he had done before, and that's all he knew was how he had done before. So he needed help. <laughs> yeah, but you can see how shy Heidi was. So one yeah. of the challenges was she was only behind the scenes. Oh yeah. And uh, I you guys even still, you you think um, I kept saying I don't want the CEO title because then people will ask me to speak. And I don't want to speak. It took so, years for me to get her on stage. And then what would happen is people would come and say, Oh, Orville, thank you for all of this. Oh, Orville, and Heidi's standing right there. And I know what my business was like before Sensi. And I know what Cincy was like, and it was much different, much better business because of her influence. So I knew full well that Cincy was because of Heidi's discipline as much as it was from anything I'd, have, I'd done. So I felt guilty taking credit. She felt bad that nobody even knew what she was doing and kind of disrespected her contributions quite often. And that created a lot of tension in the early days of our business. I remember hiring one executive um, and he came in and says, well, Heidi, what do you do? And she explained, he's, oh, we can get a high schooler to do that. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. I, I took that wrong, probably. So, but, um, Heidi's still I, at the business and he's not, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and honestly, the way I do things, um, I'm listening to the spirit, and so that's not normal in an executive group of people. So they have a hard time understanding me. And, and at first, I didn't know how to deal with this because this is the business idea. If you can't articulate your position, how are we supposed to follow it? But then what's interesting about intuition or the spirit is the more you try to explain it, the less conviction you have about it. And so um, we had a problem. So since he grew until 2012, and then we went into a, a decline. And we didn't know how we were going to pull out of it. And we were at an executive meeting on all these guys were there with great ideas on how they could spend money to, to get the business back into growth. And... Um, Heidi had a, another one of her moments, um, a good moment. I have a lot of moments. <laughs> um, and I just said, you guys, you're doing this all wrong. You're, there, we had a whole board. This was all full of how we could spend money to make Sensi better if we improve this and do this and do that. And I said, there is no Sensi spirit on that board at all. No, so you're missing the Sensi spirit. And they were like, Oh, yeah. Okay, by the end of the meeting, that whole board looks like this right now. <laughs> because we um, decided that we needed to pour 
more sensi spirit into the business, not spend money. And we made a fundamental change. Four or five of our executives were gone by the end of the year. Either they left or, or we, it just didn't work out. Um, and we refocused our business um, based on that one experience. And what I learned was my role had to shift. My role had to be understanding Heidi's intuition and articulate it for everybody else. He had to read my mind. <laughs> and, and when we got to that point where I focused my energies on understanding why Heidi felt a certain way, instead of coming up with my own ideas, our success rate, you know, the, the decisions we were making started to roll. Um, and we got back to incredible growth. And last year, we almost doubled again in size. Um, and hit numbers that we didn't think would ever reach. Uh, but it was really a culmination of a lot of this um, uh, work over the years of trying to connect what we could do to help others with the practices that we put into Sensi. But we gotta go back. Here's an interesting thing. Um, yeah, if you, if you could get to um, that one quote from Harold B. Lee, Okay. Um, I think this is it, and this is kind of an important moment. When we we met Karen Collette March thirteenth, two thousand four, we bought the company May first, two thousand four. We launched the company July first, two thousand four, as a direct selling company. Um, and I didn't want to do direct selling, um, and that was another. Kind of inspiration Heidi found that directed us in that direction. Without direct selling, since he wouldn't have been what it was. So in roughly eight weeks, eight to ten weeks, Sensi, its compensation plan, its uh, host program, its awards and recognition plan, its financial model, the catalog, ev everything that Sensi is today, our mission statement, our vision, our values, our motto. Um, the culture was created in that eight-week period, the, and it is still intact today and drives the business today. It's the greatest asset we have. Um, that was, when we look back, too irrational for us to have figured it out with no experience. People in our industry, since, since he's, in the last 15 or 16 years, not to brag, has changed direct selling in fundamental ways. And people talk to us, how did you guys figure out how to do things so differently than everybody else and find success doing it? And we have to look back and think, maybe because we were dumb, the only thing that we knew how to do was follow the spirit. Um, so I'm going to read Joe Smith and you read that one there. Well, I, yeah. If you could. Okay. I don't need to tell those two. <laughs> but you found this last night and I thought it was great. Okay. And this is Joseph Smith. A person may profit by noticing the first intimation of the spirit of revelation. For instance, when you feel pure intelligence flowing into you, it may give you a sudden stroke, may give you sudden strokes of ideas, so that by noticing it, you may find it fulfilled in some day or soon. Those things that were presented unto your minds by the Spirit of God will come to pass. And thus, by learning the Spirit of God and understanding it, you may grow into the principle of revelation until you become perfect in Christ Jesus. That was from Joseph Smith. Um, 
just like Orville said earlier, it's not just in our church life that um, we are guided um, or receive revelation. It is in our whole lives um, if we are living um, according to his will. So I, like I said, Sensi is run differently because it's not just us two. We invite um, uh, Heavenly Father Jesus and the Holy Ghost to be a part of our business and to help guide it. And um, I know maybe that sounds weird, but it is it's, something it is. we, you know, we don't pray with our employees. You know, it, it, they don't see it, but they feel something different. And um, there are decisions that are made. I want to tell one story. This okay. is this is like this is an example of what happens, right? So, and that's what I was going to say. Me, I'll I'll get a feeling, and then I have to go to him and say, "Here's this is what we're supposed to do." I feel it, and then he um, he gets his answers a different way, and then. Um, we were like, yeah, that's it. you're right, you're right. But sometimes it takes a little bit of time for us to come together to realize that that is what we're supposed to do. So, so two years ago, we were preparing for our incentive trip, and we were going to go to the Hard Rock Cafe, bring all of our people, to the, our, our top earners, to the Hard Rock Cafe in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. And we were planning our keynote speaker for our big convention, and we finally got Tony Robbins to agree to come speak to us. And Tony Robbins is maybe the, the one of the top speakers. Top speakers in the world, most yeah. coveted, but he's expensive. So we negotiated it down. It was a long negotiation. He finally agreed to all of our terms. And it was ready to sign the contract with Tony Robbins and sign the contract with Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic, which we had been to before and everybody loved. The alternative to Punta Cana was of a resort in Florida, which isn't nearly as sexy. So people are not like, hey, I want a trip to Florida. Not nearly as cool, right? So I was very opposed to the Florida destination, wanted to go to the Dominican Republic. Time to sign the contracts. Heidi came in and said, I don't feel right about it. Yeah. I was I was a little bit sick. <laughs> yeah. No, no on Punta Cana, everyone. And a lot of our consultants had already gone to Punta Cana in a previous incentive trip. They loved it. They the wanted favorites. to go back. And then Tony Robbins, our team had worked so hard negotiating. The lawyers had been negotiating, the events team had been negotiating. We finally got him to concede everything we wanted. And Heidi said, No, we can't sign it. He was livid. His team was uh, livid. Yeah. Our team was livid. Some of our employees were really mad at me. And then, then they're saying, why? We want to know why. What's the reason? And all I could say was, I, it's my feelings. And they're like, oh, this girl. <laughs> so imagine, imagine fast forward. The week we were going to be in Punta Cana, do you guys remember in the news when there were those mysterious deaths in the Dominican Republic at resorts because of tainted alcohol or maybe there was some, there was... They weren't sure, exactly. The, the worst news coverage in the history of the Hard Rock Cafe and of the Dominican Republic tourism business happened two weeks before we were to go. If we would have had that trip planned, it would have been disastrous. Meanwhile, we're in Florida, every one of our people, man, with everything going on in the Dominican Republic, I'm glad we're not there this time. 
having no idea that we were going to be there until Heidi said, I just don't feel right about it. The week we were going to register people for our reunion and advertise Tony Robbins as our speaker was the week it came out that multiple previous employees accused him for sexual harassment. He got canceled for about three months. He got uh, uh, his, his book deal got canceled. His, his publisher dropped him. That happened the week we would have been advertising he's our keynote speaker. Th those kinds of things happen all the time if the Lord knows how you listen to him. The prophet says, hear him. But the key is, figure out how you listen to him. He'll use that process. He uses a different process with Heidi than he does with me. But if I have a certain feeling, I don't know if it's my own head or if it's the spirit, but I just go with the fact it's the spirit. And if I'm consistent with that, I'm confident that the Lord knows that I'm so consistent with the way I be, behave when I have a certain feeling that he can use that feeling to get me to do whatever he needs me to do to be a uh, servant of him. And that in turn helps me live the most efficient life I can because it's the one in accordance with his will. And even though we might have trials and struggles and questions and doubts, we can have joy along that journey because we know that what we're doing is in accordance with the will of the Lord. So it leads right, in, right into this. And those two words, hear him, God gives us the pattern for success, happiness, and joy in this life. We are to hear the words of the Lord, hearken to them, and heed what he has told us. And okay. the reward, oh. we have to give up three years of our lives. <laughs> we get somebody, to give up three years of our lives. Somebody no. else has to, um, yeah, step in and run Cincy for the next yeah. three years. So We are excited about our mission, but everybody who's never been a mission president says congratulations, and everybody who is, has been a mission president says, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Uh, but we're grateful for well, I feel like the, the yeah, training we've had. The last 16 years um, of just working together has definitely prepared us. Um, we've both grown a lot. And um, yeah, just we're, we're actually working together. We, we work together every day. So we tried to add up um, how many hours. We spend, we together. spend together compared to most couples. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I could never work with my spouse. Never. And um, we think we're about 80, 82 right now. Yeah. So <laughs> we spend almost as much time together as my parents have because we always work together. But that's a good thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have some more stories, but we're running out of time. We might be have fun for questions. Um, but uh, in fact, we'll add, answer a couple questions and then we can go yeah, to the next one. What's that? What father? What dad? What father? Yeah, he's still alive. Yeah. 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 He's 86. He's 86. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think you'll take from your incredible business experience, your connection with the spirit that you hope to share in the mission setting where a mission is a lot like running a business as well and caring for all these wonderful little missionaries. What do you think you'll 
be taking with you that will be your greatest asset? Uh, you go ahead. <laughs> so the epiphany I had back when um, my consecration epiphany, when we're to consecrate everything, the good, the bad, and just be a steward of it, that ownership is not something we are entitled to. That kind of put Heidi and me and helped our company have a mindset of stewardship, which means we're responsible to do the work on somebody else who is the owner, right? Every good thing that comes in this life comes from our Heavenly Father through the atonement of Jesus Christ and brought to us through the Holy Ghost. So this is God's world. This is his work. We get to participate in that, and when we do, we are happiest. That participation is not just your church calling and your ministering assignments. It is everything that you have, every breath of life can be to serve God. And when we serve others, we serve God. So that idea of being outward focused, focusing on others, serving others, loving others, being the arms, hugging those on behalf of uh, a loving God who needs us to be those arms, right? That's kind of the attitude at Sensi that we don't own anything. It's not about us. It's about everyone else. Um, created a culture. And I think that culture is something that we can take to our mission. Um, that culture of service, that culture of... That's what I was going to say, too. The culture of stewardship. Sensi to the mission. A deep responsibility. Um, because quite honestly, if you give more than you take, then good things will flow because there's a cosmic debt owed to you because you've contributed more than you've taken. And that's really demonstrated by a concept of being arrows out. It's not what circumstances or possessions or relationships do to you. It's how you can bless relationships, what you can do with your uh, possessions, what you can learn from your circumstances. Right, arrows out allows you to be um, great, happy, regardless of your circumstances. Because whatever is is, you're just here as a steward of whatever it is on behalf of the Lord to do your best with it. Um, that's the greatest lesson I think we've learned at Sensi. And the more we've given, the more the uh, flows happen. Um, we try to contribute more than we take to others; they reciprocate. That makes it harder for us to contribute more. So it's an upward spiral. We, we, we lift everybody up when we do that. When we worry about getting more out of the situation than we took from it, or than we contributed to it, then we create a downward spiral. So I think the Lord wants us to create upward spirals. And I think that uh, that's a good message for missionaries. Hopefully we take that concept into the mission. Um, we are assigned a, a mentor that we meet with every other week, and um, he go, we have a bunch of reading and podcasts and stuff to do to prepare, and um, when we, we met with our mentor, um, he we have three values at Sensi, simplicity, authenticity, and generosity. And uh, he was explaining, I don't remember the words, yeah. but maybe you do, because I, I, things go in and out, but he said 
these are the three things that you need to do to um, help the missionaries be great missionaries. And I don't remember what the three words were, but he said these three things. And then Orville wrote simplicity, authenticity, and generosity right next to those words. And I thought, oh. so that's what we'll take is our values that will translate into the mission. It'll be different words, you know, what, what we're teaching the missionaries, but um, same same idea. And it, go ahead. Oh, then you can finish. First. No, no, it's fine. Uh, so, um, you mentioned multiple times that like people within your ward have like pointed at you and said you're a fraud and this and that. Um, what what kept you in the church? You know, when a lot of other people have, have left the church in instances like that. Um, and we're all friends now, just so <laughs> everything is smooth. One of those guys we hired for about seven years. Yeah. Gave him a job. Um, yeah, and we. I'll tell you an interesting story about that. Uh, well, the, the, to answer the question, um, I'm hearing the spirit though too. How? Yeah, um, I know the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. I know that the Holy Ghost speaks to us when we are not chasing Him away. I can tell the difference when I'm doing things that I should be doing and when I'm not, on how the Lord speaks to me through the Holy Ghost. So I know the church is true. I know that God lives. I know the Book of Mormon is true through multiple experiences. Um, when I was in the temple for the first time, I'm a logical thinker, and I remember saying this prayer. I remember thinking in my head, you know, if this is true, it answers every question that I could ever have about the church. What an efficient way of getting an answer. <laughs> so I said a prayer. Said, Heavenly Father, I'm in the temple, which means if the church is true, or if this is true, that means the church is true. That means Joseph Smith restored the church. That means that the authority of the church is still here, and that the current prophet is the right prophet. Yeah. Is this truth? Is this an endowment from you? Is this what is real? And I had an overwhelming feeling of comfort. Um, and it's a unique experience. I, I tell my kids, and I kind of screwed up their testimony because they're waiting for an experience like that. So I don't want to overplay how it happens because it happens all the time. But at that moment, my testimony was locked in. So I could be offended. Everyone could hate me. I could go to jail for... Um, false pretenses and be kicked out of the church because I got convicted, I would not ever lose my testimony. Um, and I knew that time would tell. I was going to say, I think also um, for him to quit going to church because of that is punishing him. And he still had his testimony. And so um, you just go. You do hard things and you just go, even if they're in your same ward. So. Let, me, let me share a quick example. So we moved into, or uh, as a quick story, we moved into this other ward. Wait, we're, we are over time, so I don't want to. Um, Give us the last story. Okay. <laughs> we moved into this new ward. We had just started Simpson. I'm running the other business to generate enough money to pay our debts. We're eating canned food from the cannery. Our kids have no activities. 
they're they're at Sensi like 18 hours a day with us. So. As a family, including our mortgage, we lived on two thousand dollars a month for 30 months into our time at Sensi. We had half million dollars in the bank at Sensi. Heidi wouldn't let us spend it on us because I wasn't disciplined. And we lived off a two grand a month budget with an $1,100 mortgage payment. It was tough. I was working a full business and we were building Cincy. And I would spend, I would work through the night at the office probably two or three times a week. I got called to be the scoutmaster. <laughs> my kids were the age of the kids in my scout troop. I'd go on a monthly scouting activity and my daughters would say, what? <laughs> I, you don't spend any time at home, but you'll do this? That's my duty. Those boys all became Eagle Scouts. All of them went on missions. There was 14 of them. Their fathers became key employees of ours. I would have never received, we would have never been able to hire ex uh, experienced executives from HP had I not been their son's Scoutmaster. I wouldn't have had the ability to maintain Cincy's financial um, uh, strength if I didn't have years of managing massive debt and knowing where every penny was being spent in order to stay on top of the cash flow. Those trials were the key on how to get out. If you see yourself trapped in a well, the walls of the well seem like your prison until you realize the walls of the well are how you get out. What confines us gives us the path to overcome. It creates the tension for us to um, become better. So whenever you have those kinds of trials, rather than retreating, you lean into them and you find out what is the Lord trying to teach me so that I can overcome this because on the other side, I'm going to have a lot more wisdom and perspective. That's probably what he needs from me right now. Okay. okay. We have 10 more stories, but no time. So. <laughs> We've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. Thank you I so hope it's much. been helpful. It's been wonderful. We want to leave with a testimony too. I kind of bore it. Yeah. But I want you to know that I know that Heavenly Father lives, that His Son, Jesus Christ, is our Savior, and has made possible every good thing that we can experience through His atonement. And that they have given us the gift of the Holy Ghost to guide us in every aspect of our lives. We just have to figure out how to connect with heaven if we want to live happy. That doesn't mean live stress-free, but when we have stress connected to God, we know, um, or we still have joy, and we know that that journey we're on of struggle is going to be for our good. And that allows us to overcome our circumstances, regardless of what they are, and find purpose in them and joy, regardless of, of what's happening to us. This knowledge comes through prophets. It was restored through Joseph Smith, and we now have Russell M. Nelson to continue to guide us in this great work. And I leave that testimony with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Me, me too, or? Yeah. Um, yeah, I will. I, I am grateful. I'm going to cry first off. The missionary that found my family. My um, daughter just had her first baby. 